It is time to draw a line under the map. We will strive for the denazification of Ukraine. Let me put it to you, Justin. Yes, you If you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side. The idea is flying migrants to the web. I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Part of the ACAST Creator Network and also available on Patreon. Hello, I'm Mark Steele and welcome to my podcast. We are back! Unfortunately, we've come back on a very, very slow news week. Nothing of interest has happened. But even so, I find myself having to ask the question, what the fuck is going on? Boris Johnson should be praised with great affection because he is one of the very, very few politicians who stuck to his principles right to the end. He came into politics as a lying, power-mad, incompetent cesspit of narcissism and he stayed true to his beliefs all the way through. Even the final story that did for him was perfect, involving lies and a sex pest Two of his favourites. He insisted he didn't know Chris Pincher had a record of drunken groping, and then it turned out he did know. So he lied some more, and if he hadn't been forced to resign, by now he'd be saying, I couldn't have known that he had a history of being a sex pest, because at the time I was a pelican. I was uh, a pelican, and I, I was catching fish on a pond in New Zealand. Eventually, Johnson was such an embarrassment that many of his colleagues wrote those principled letters they all did that went, It has been an honour and a privilege to work alongside someone who I now say must resign because they're a raging, compulsive, lying sociopath. And I am extremely sad to no longer be able to support someone who I now insist is a deranged fruit bat. But still he wouldn't go. When only a few in his government hadn't resigned, he started sacking the ones that were left, like Michael Gove. And after that, he was probably planning to just sack random people like Maureen at the dry cleaners. And one day the truth will be revealed and we'll learn that he was planning to climb through a secret passage to come onto the roof of Downing Street with a machine gun covered in cocaine while Jacob Rees-Mogg stood by him naked, chanting in Latin to summons the spirits to destroy his enemies. Until eventually... Almost everyone in the world was telling him to resign. There were probably peasants in Vietnam who have never been outside their own village who sent him a letter saying, For God's sake, give up, you lying twat! And even then, it seemed likely he would begin his resignation speech and then Nadine Doris had run across the road and dive at his ankles, howling, Don't go, Boris! Don't listen to the traitors! And scream at the Tory MPs, You lock it off! Fuck off, you buck-stopping shithouses! Until someone was summoned from London Zoo to calm her down with a tranquilizer dart. In his resignation speech, Boris Johnson told us he'd done a marvellous job, but he had to go because them's the breaks because everything that happened to him was simply a result of terrible luck. Other people get the odd spot of good fortune, but not Boris. He insisted he wasn't at a party. And then, how about this, for rotten luck, it turns out he was there. He insisted he didn't give public money to his mistress, and then it turned out he did. It's just one bit of bad luck after another. It's the same with arsonists. I set light to a building, they say, and then I was unlucky because it caught fire. Oh, well, them's the breaks. At least the Conservative Party has finally done the right thing, having belatedly discovered that Johnson is an unhinged cesspit 
They've decided to let him run the country for two months while they work out who to replace him with. Because who could possibly be better to guide us through economic collapse and a nearby war in which one side has nuclear weapons than someone you've had to physically drag out of his office before he sets fire to central London? It's the same in a school, if the headmaster is sacked for being a sex pest with kids. Everyone agrees that he should carry on for just a couple of months until they appoint someone without a record of fiddling with the students. Or if the police find someone in the high street with a rifle and an axe who's so crazy he insists he wasn't at a party in his own garden when the newspapers are full of photos of him at parties in his own garden and screaming that their destiny was to be world king. To ensure everything runs smoothly, the police leave them in charge of everything for just a couple of months while we sort ourselves out. It seems one reason why Boris Johnson wants to stay on until September is his plan to have his wedding at Chequers, the estate that comes with a job. Now, this does show that he has learned from his experiences and we should give him credit for that because until now, he'd have had his wedding party there and then denied there was a wedding party and then insisted he couldn't say whether or not he was married until there'd been an investigation. And then he'd tell us it was a workplace meeting and when I was heard making a vow to love and cherish, it was to love and cherish a very important document uh, about Ukraine. But Johnson has been unfairly treated because Conservative MPs knew what he was like when they chose him to be their leader. Everyone who'd ever worked with him, been married to him, or watched him for any length of time, such as three seconds, knew what he was like. And now the Conservatives say, how could we know that the man who boasted he never abided by any rules would not abide by the rules? How could we know that the man who was having it away with his mistress while his wife was having chemo might be untrustworthy in any way? So it's not his fault. The Tories are like someone who lets a rabid dog loose in a school and then says, it is with great sadness that I can no longer support the rabid dog, as the rabid dog has turned out to be rabid uh, and a dog. Many of Boris Johnson's supporters deserted him this week, but some were more principled and remained loyal to the end, and none more so than Tory MP Nadine Boris. Can I ask your reaction to the Prime Minister's resignation? You prick. You little prick. Yous have done this, you lot. Oh, Boris had a party. Oh, Boris told a lie. Oh, Boris got a blowy from his mistress. Well, I hope you're proud of yourselves. So Mr Johnson still has your backing? 140%. And I'll tell you something for nothing. He's not going nowhere. Mark my words. This time next year, he's going to be king or president or emperor. Or it's like when they tried to ban Big Mickey from the railway arms. They had to get 20 coppers to drag him out. And I'll be there with him. Not like shitty Patel or shitty Sunak and shitty... What's his name? Whose dad was a bus driver. Well, I'd like to see him driving the 407 to Kirby the shit house. So will you be standing for the leadership? Yeah, and when I win, 
I'm going to stand down and give it to Boris again. And then what are you going to do? The only reason you didn't have parties is because no one would come and you'd be just sat at home watching Pornhub on your own with a packet of Twiglets, you shithousey little shithouse. He's the greatest man that has ever lived. He told me he invented cheese. I'd like to see Michael Gove do that, the coked-up little shithouse. This is the worst day of anyone's life. Give me a bottle of Grey Goose. I'm off to Sefton Park to get hammered. What the fuck? What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Now, has anybody who has ever attempted to work out what the fuck is going on knows, you, you've got to have expert analysis and um this week not only do i have expert philosophical analysis but expert statistical analysis someone who is better placed than anyone in the world to actually tell me numerically how many times something has not known what the fuck is going on in any given period of time mr andy zaltzman Hello. Hello. Hello, Mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the statistics of people not knowing what the fuck's going on um, are quite interesting through you know, the history of of humanity. That it, it's remained fairly constant at more than ninety nine point eight four percent of people don't know what the fuck's going on, and of the zero point one six percent who do know what the fuck's going on, they only generally know about. Uh, 2.1% of what is going on. And that doesn't change. Do you think there's odd moments like during the Renaissance or you know, periods of ancient Greece or something at high points in human society that that's gone up a little bit? Yeah, there's spikes and troughs uh, where you know, maybe m- more than 2.1% of people... Oh, if I could just stop you there, Andy, that just pushed out on the offside and I've taken a single. <laughs> that takes... Uh... <laughs> That takes Joe Root on to 67, and he's, um, that's uh, 109 for two. Sorry, let's carry on. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been clearly peaks and troughs in, in the number of people who've known what the fuck's going on and the extent to which they've known what the fuck's going on. Um, and uh, I don't know if the internet has helped that, because you'd think the internet you know, spreads more knowledge, but it also spreads more uh, anti-knowledge. So I don't know if overall what impact that's had on the stats over the last 25 <laughs> years, Mark, in, in terms of the percentage. I suspect it's made it worse. <laughs> the people who don't know, and I can't imagine there is anybody uh, of this world who doesn't know, but Andy is not only a very fine comedian, but also the official cricket statistician of, uh, of some repute uh, and therefore absolutely ideal to be the person who is on this podcast <laughs> when we are discussing the unprecedented nature of the demise of Mr. Boris Johnson. And uh, Boris Johnson uh, has said in his life 3,846,921 things. <laughs> Can you tell us how many of those things have been true? Well, to ballpark it... Um... Four, um, I think three of them were accidental that he was attempting to lie, but accidentally told the uh, <laughs> told the truth, and one was the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, even when he says things like, "I've been to the toilet 
You think, <laughs> oh no, you've done a great big shit on the kitchen table, haven't you? <laughs> I think it's just impossible to, to say absolutely nothing. It's quite an achievement to lie as much as him. Yeah. Even when I think he is one of those people who can't help but lie, even when it's there's no benefit to it that he'll go, I've uh, eaten four spring onions today. No, you haven't. <laughs> well, I've eaten so, any yeah. since Tuesday. So at least it's philosophically consistent. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the statistical side of it was just the joy of watching the number of resignations mount up and the, working out the percentage of uh, unfilled jobs in Parliament and at what point it, it would reach a stage where so many jobs were unfilled in Parliament that the entire nation would just implode and the Queen would be... <laughs> reactivated on a kind of giant metal horse to to retake control um it nearly happened in the 1920s once i think but um it was uh yeah it was extraordinary i don't know what the the i mean it was over it was 59 resignations in the end and i think there might even have been some after boris johnson then announced that he was also, I don't know if you can count Boris Johnson as one of the resignations that brought down Boris Johnson possibly i mean I, this is this seems like an appetite uh, this is like an appetite moment to mention that we've had uh, a question from someone called Berda Stewart from one of our followers who says, has any England bowler ever taken as many test wickets in a year as Boris Johnson had resignations? <laughs> uh, and then a follow-up question, if the number of resignations was a test batting average, what would Tre Fred Truman think of it? The second one's probably more you know, to do with psychotherapy and philosophy than statistics. But, but you know, what's the... What, so how many... How many resignations? The all-time record for bowlers in the year is 96. So Shane Warne took Good more Lord. wickets than Boris Johnson uh, had resignations by quite a large large margin. Oh, um, what a shame England. he's not here to know that. He'd have been so... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he was aware of this, John. No, I'm going for the 96. I'm going to beat Warne. <laughs> There we are. Bit by bit, we're working out what the fuck is going on. And if the number of resignations was a test batting average, what would Fred Truman? Well, Fred Truman would be, uh, he'd be impressed. He'd, you know, a, a test batting average of fifty nine is right up there with the greatest of all time. But Fred Truman, as a as a fast bowler, mm. um, would probably think that it was due to rubbish bowling. I don't, I don't know, but I imagine he would find that actually resignations. Uh, this, that's yeah. not a proper resignation. I mean, in uh, in ancient Rome, we had proper resignations in those days. We had. <laughs> We had Caligula. He knew how to resign. <laughs> well, I think uh, in ancient Rome, when you resigned, you basically had to um, commit suicide, didn't you, to avoid the, you know, to complete didn't the Didn't you have job to just walk and, away uh, with your, your horse? You were given, I think you were given a horse right. and, you know, was sent out into the countryside. I mean, uh, right. uh, I don't know, I'm only guessing he would say something like that, I would think. <laughs> I mean, you already had one lad. You, he, he got... He uh, he was out for nine and then six and he had to resign and he had to uh, sit on a go kart and drive <laughs> into the outback. He, had, he, had to, he flows across the Atlantic and uh, well, I mean he, that was the last we heard of him until uh, twenty five years later when it turned out he'd he'd uh, he'd taken four for four for thirty one against a, <laughs> against a, a team of emus. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Well, I mean, it was an interesting journey. Uh, we went from the outback to the Atlantic, and then back to Australia to to play cricket against them. Unless it was a the team of touring Does that not go to Australia? That... I've got a fucking clue. So, traditionally not. Where's it going? 
The Atlantic used to go right across to Australia, but I mean, they closed the health and safety people, they closed it down. I mean, there's yeah. too much water, they're worried about it getting mixed up with the electrics or something. Not, not allowed to go right down there. I don't bother with them. I mean, we used to have proper seas in those days. So, who is going to take over from. Uh, Who's going to take over for Boris Johnson? What Prime Minister? And, you know, as you, uh, as host of a very, very successful uh, podcast yourself, The Bugle, uh, I would imagine this is really important. You need to know who, because they might be absolutely marvellous, which would be terrible for The Bugle. You'd be sort of <laughs> coming on every week going, yeah. Well, the oh, new Prime Minister is great. Wonder, everything seems just so delightful at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's a theoretical possibility, but it seems, seems, Unlikely. Uh, I, I do, would quite like it if they took this opportunity to change the post of prime minister from something that you know has someone who is in post for a long time to it being really just like jury service. Just you know, two you get two weeks. You know, it's a randomly selected member of the public, and because I'm not sure it would. I mean, it couldn't really be any worse than what we have seen in recent years, and it might actually be considerably. Considerably better. I think that's a brilliant idea. How are you? How are you getting on? How are you getting on, Maureen? Are you? Are you? Because uh, you're supposed to be going on holiday. Well, no, I can't go, dear. I'm going to be prime minister. I got a thing through the post. I said, well, I'm going. And they said, no, you've got to do it. So, well, I mean, anyway, Ted's all right. He'll be glad to have me out the house. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of specific individuals from within the political political setup. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would obviously be hilarious to have Jacob Rees-Mogg as, as Prime Minister. It would be interesting to see, if he was Prime Minister, how long it would be before the top hat became compulsory in all schools. <laughs> oh, all vegetables would have to be uh, spoken in the Latin name. It would be illegal to get a greengrocer's. <laughs> You wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be allowed to be illegal to ask for a cucumber. You would have to go cumbrous cucumbrous or whatever it is. <laughs> that would be the law. Yeah, no, it would be an interesting That'd social experiment, I think. And in many ways, the logical endpoint of 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 Brexit would be to unleash Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, in an official resurrection of the nineteenth century. And um... <laughs> the twentieth century would be declared null and void, a bit like the cycling all the years. <laughs> All the years when Lance Armstrong and all the druggy people <laughs> won it, they've now blank. been just wiped out. That yeah. would happen to the twentieth century. It would we would now be not it would be nineteen twenty two, except there are some <laughs> things that would be a bit too modern for him with that, like with the radio and stuff like that coming into prominence. The television would be abolished and once a week we would all go to the town square and watch the whipping of people who are left handed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, use the devil's hand. <laughs> but you know, there's a terrible bit of me. This is a terrible confession. There's a terrible bit of me that thinks it would be quite funny if, if Reese Mogg was to become the prime minister. Like on the night of the Brexit referendum, oh, I shouldn't confess. There was a bit. There, I mean, I very much wanted Remain to win, but there was a bit of me that thought, "Oh, this will be fun." <laughs> What have they done now? And the late Jeremy Hardy, I spoke to him the next day, and he said, yeah, there's a bit of me that's the same bit of me that that, that would think, oh, my God, someone's let all the animals out of the zoo. Oh, <laughs> hundreds of people who I know have been eaten by hippos. 
<laughs> but I, I have to confess that I there was a bit of me at the time. But we're comedians, you know. Material is material. We've got to think about number one, Mark. <laughs> but I, I, had a, I had a very strange Brexit <laughs> night um, in 2016. I was making my first appearance on Test Match Special as the statistician the next morning. Spent the night uh, in a hotel room in Birmingham watching the news unfold whilst researching Sri Lankan batsmen. So it was um, quite a weird way to uh, see in the uh, destruction of my children's future. Uh, sorry, uh, the, uh, the democratic will of the people. So who's right? Very quickly, who's going <laughs> to who's going to be the leader? We need to know the, who's going to be the leader. Uh, well, I think it's quite possible that Boris Johnson could just um, you pretend to be someone else and run again in costume. Maybe he could. <laughs> You know, he could like, just. No, I mean, he could, Nadine Dorries, Boris Johnson, both got blonde hair. I, I think that's that's a possible swap. I think Dorries would do anything for for Johnson. So I think that's that's a definite possibility. He would. I am Nadine Dorries, and I decided to stand. Yes, <laughs> Dorries, Boris. It's, I mean, it's not even going to be that difficult a linguistic shift, is it? So, um. Well, what can we um? What can we tell everybody to come to listen? Apart from sort of uh, various cricket matches that you're going to be. <laughs> commentating on yes uh well you can listen to the bugle um uh, uh featuring your good self on many occasions um i've got some uh well we have some 15th anniversary live bugle shows later in the year and i'm doing a short uh extension of my stand-up tour in uh in november um but other than that uh not a great deal um oh the news quiz is back in september um so you can listen to that and i should have a cricket book out next year so if you are into cricket and want to read about numbers um then uh then uh yeah buy that and <laughs> read it but cricket not people do want to read about numbers yes they do well it's i mean uh, sports numbers are one of the few resources of provable fact in the known universe um and <laughs> um i mean the great thing is you can have these numbers and then you can still argue about what they mean but the numbers themselves are facts, and there's very few things that are like that uh, anymore in the world. And I think that's why people do like uh, um, sports stats. I think because they they are you know at least something that you can cling to. Oh, this definitely, this definitely happened. This player did score a hundred and three, or this person well, did that, score a goal. Well, because you saying but... that to me, I'd never thought of this. But I remember finding this out, reading this when I was uh, back when I was doing the lectures uh, series on the telly, and. Uh, did one program about Aristotle, and this is true. Aristotle was the first person, as far as it is known, to have uh, compiled a comprehensive list of all the winners of events in the Olympics, <laughs> in the ancient Greek Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I did in the program. I think I had him going so that when they got drunk, he must have gone. Oi, Plato, right? you asked me any fucking year you want to ask you won the pole vault. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, there is a definitely philosophy yeah. and the sort of certainty of numbers is uh, there's definitely a correlation there, um, and that's yeah you know, that is why you were able to tell us what the fuck is going on. Thank you so much, Mr. <laughs> Andy Saltzman. Pleasure. This week, Rafa Nadal had to pull out of Wimbledon due to a tear in his abdomen. Now, I'm not an expert on sporting injuries, but luckily we have with us somebody who is. George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Rafa Nadal. 
your inexplicable decision to withdraw from the Wimbledon tournament on the spurious grounds of being unable to move does you no credit. Your meek surrender is redolent of Mr Blair's craven subservience before the warmongering fetishist Mr Bush prior to his illegal invasion of Iraq. Such pusillanimous reticence is in stark contrast to your Spanish compadres who fought with such valiance against the abhorrent despot General Franco and who never once succumbed to withdrawing from battle due to an abdominal injury, even in a semi-final. Future historians will hold you in contempt when they discover that your cowardly withdrawal has real-life consequences for working people across the globe, not least myself, who had placed the sum of eight pounds at Paddy Power on you to win the championship, money which is now subject of a legal dispute on the grounds that the bet should be null and void. That, Rafer Nadal, if that is indeed your real name, is why I shall be adding Spanish oranges to the list of citrus fruits that I am boycotting, though I still enjoy grapefruits from Venezuela. If you would like to support this podcast so that we can continue with our quest to find out what the fuck is going on, then please sign up to Patreon. Each week you will get a longer version of the episode with extended interviews and uh, bonus sketches. This week you'll be able to hear Mike Concrete, uh, who's very, very uh, marvellous at teasing out opinions, as we know. And he's talking to someone... uh, about the the issue of the women's football that's just started. A very, very illuminating interview, that is. If you'd like to hear that, also get ad-free versions of every episode. And they're annoying, aren't they, the adverts? What can we do? And the first chance to buy tickets at a discounted price for the live shows, which, now that we're back up and running, we will absolutely be doing later in the year. Obviously, we won't be doing early in the year because it'll already have happened. So follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com. That's www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on. And for just £4 a month, you can get all of that and the satisfaction of knowing that you are helping this podcast, which is as much joy as anyone can ever have had in the history of the human species. Good people who are listening to the podcast, I have uh, an announcement to make, which is that there will be a new series of Mark's Deals in Town, where I travel around the towns and talk about the towns to people from that place. And they will be going out from August the 22nd, uh, whatever day of the week that is, possibly a Monday, but you, if it's not, then uh, you know, please don't sue me uh, for calendar reasons at 6.30, and most of you, I would imagine, will listen to it on something else other than on an old-fashioned radio. You'll listen to it on TikTok or some sort of digital thing 
or some space thing. I don't know. Whatever you listen to it uh, on the lawnmower, you probably can now. And uh, that'll be they'll be available, and there'll be longer versions as well. There'll be sort of versions that'll be about fifty minutes, I think, because um, we always have to cut stuff out so that there's room for the archers and shipping forecasts. So Mark Steele's in town. We'll be coming this series from Nottingham, the Isles of Scilly, Tring in Hertfordshire, where uh, there's a funny little museum where they dress fleas up as Mexicans, from Salisbury, where there may or may not be talk of Russia, uh, from Newport in South Wales, and from Paris, where there will be a show in uh, one recording in English and one in French. And so all of those things and the podcast will be happening. Also, we have people who've been getting in touch with us on Twitter and indeed on the Patreon account. Uh, and here are some of the things that we've been asked. Kim at Kim of London asks, if inflation is 9.1%, how come stuff in the supermarket that was £1 three months ago is now £2.25? Now, I'm a little bit sceptical about this. I don't keep that close a look on things that are £1 and what they cost three months later. So I don't know exactly. Some things might. That sounds like that's quite a bit. I think maybe you're... Are you buying everything on eBay and you bought something for a pound that that now more people have found out about it or, or, or something? I don't know. I think... Or were you going to Poundland three months ago and now you're going to £2.25 land? Maybe that's what's gone wrong. John Ware does seem to add to your point, saying uh, it's a good point. The fruit juice that I buy has leapt from 99 pence to £1.35 all of a sudden. Uh, and yeah, well, prices are, are going up. And, and magnificently, if you ask for wages that even sort of half keep up with that you're told that you're the problem if you're going to get a five percent wage rise then you're going to make things much much worse if you've got any sense at all uh, and you want to make yourself better off then you will get no wage rise. in fact you'll give all your money away and collect all your belongings and you will send them to your employer and within no time at all you'll find that uh, inflation has, has gone down and the things that were 99p are only £1.25p and um, uh, and that's how economics works. Stuarty Muck at Stukestosh set Blatter and uh, Michel Platini with their £1.6 million service payment trial. What the fuck is going on? Now, this is uh, this is incredible because of what Set Blatter to say Set Blatter was corrupt did not feel particularly controversial. It would be like sort of saying, "Oh, you know, Al Capone's corrupt," and no one would go, "No, not Al Capone." Oh, you can't trust anybody now. But but I mean, for a start, the World Cup is in Qatar, the least suitable place for having a World Cup anywhere in the world you can have a world cup anywhere in the world and they've chosen the most unsuitable place and we'll build a massive stadium where there aren't any stadiums at all in the desert in in conditions where it is literally impossible to even i don't know tarmac three yards of road without getting through four or five hundred thousand low-paid workers but they've managed to do that uh, and, and not be done for corruption. I mean, 
In fact, I would say Seth Blatter and Michel Platini, if they're, if they're not corrupt, I think they're even worse. To award a World Cup to Qatar when it's not been because they've personally been given million, £1.6 million in six Swiss francs, I believe. Uh, at least that's an excuse. But somehow they, they get away with it and they'll probably now, now they've been found not guilty. So they'll now probably be, now they will probably be put in charge of the Swimming Federation and next year's World Swimming Championships will be also awarded to the middle of the Sahara Desert. So John A at John A63864990, a magnificent Twitter name, says, what the fox is going on with the attitude of the post-lockdown fox population? They used to run a mile when they saw humans. Now they act all entitled like they own the town. This is definitely true. I think in South London, the foxes have, all, have been quite hard for a while. I think, you know, the sort of foxes, urban foxes that come into the town in your sort of Chester and places like that, I think they're sort of being encouraged a little bit by the South London foxes that even 10 15 years ago you'd sort of go boo to a fox to try and get it out of the way and it'd be like oh yeah would you would you know about boo mate hey i'm a lewisham fox fuck off i'll run this place now and i i think you know i'm very very much against fox hunting on very many grounds but i have at times thought that maybe you do need one in south london Maybe the bugles and the you know all the paraphernalia we can we can do without, and sort of um, smearing blood on your cheeks and celebrating someone's first kill, that sort of thing I can leave alone. But uh, but if you're going to have a fox hunt, I think you might as well have it coming through Crystal Palace and down into West Norwood. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck? What the fuck is going on? As Anybody knows who has tried to work out what the fuck is going on. You need the voice of the youth, especially in these difficult, uncertain times. And that is why many years, increasing number of years ago, I bred someone so that I would have someone who could, uh, who, who could sort of regale me with the ideas and opinions and values of the younger generation as they grow up. And that is why we have with us now Mr. Elliot Steele. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. Very good. And in this sort of um, sort of semi-post-Borisy sort of world, has anything changed? Uh, not immediately. But uh, did you celebrate? Well, we had a whiskey. We did have a whiskey, we, yeah. Uh, we had a nice afternoon whiskey. And then I fell asleep for four hours because whiskey is a bad drink to day drink on. Yeah, the fucker. Even at his last moment. He managed to ruin your afternoon. He's gone, and that's the good thing. I don't. I. I mean, it's not good because whoever's going to come in next will also be awful, and it's it's really more the system that's bad than just one individual. So it, it, it's like a little bit of fun uh, until someone else who spends their life just wanting to be in power and give money to oil companies and bankers and ruin you know the world. But for now, it's okay. So is this this is a little bit of the young person sort of uh, uh, sort of angle on this then is uh, you're a bit more measured I think older people maybe it's because we have so few we're aware that in our lives there have been so few things politically that have gone the way we wanted one little thing like the fact that a fucking total maniac was only in charge for three years and no longer that to us is the biggest that's that's the limit of our ambitions. Whereas your generation's still thinking, 
oh no, but we should still be trying to get a better system. But well, my generation has fucking well, given up on that. Just not well, have a well, total mental person is, is enough. Well, no, this is this is insane when I think your generation think that. Back when you were my age, you could walk into a bank and you could go, can I have a credit card for £50,000? And they'd go, do you promise not to be <laughs> mental with it? And you'd go, yeah. And they'd go, well, there you go. You said you won't do it. Have, have one. <laughs> and that was it. That was, that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. entire financial system was just based on, do you promise <laughs> you're going to pay us back? And everyone would go, yeah, of course. And then they wouldn't. And they'll go, ah, oh, don't worry, it's fine. Look, what you should do, we know you can't manage any money. So the best thing to do is now that you owe us £70,000 on interest, why don't we give you some more money so you can buy a £300,000 home? In fact, why don't we give you £600,000 so you can buy two £300,000 homes? And what is it you do? Oh, I make wind chimes for a living. Is that going well? No. Okay, well, it would probably only renovate one of them then and then sell that. And that went. That was going to shit. And when I was five, I was having to watch people jump from a burning building and then us go invade a country, uh, just literally on the basis that everyone had lied about it and that we wanted their oil. And there, in 08, there was a financial crash and they went, oh, there'll never be the likes of this again. And there's been about five of them since that one. Uh, another one's incoming. And they're literally like, there's another one where they go, there's going to be a huge financial crash coming. And everyone's like, yeah, it'll be fine. And you go, well, everyone sees this coming. And you go, and then in about eight months, people go, well, we never saw this coming. And so, no, no, the fact that someone who just didn't, who wasn't really in power anyway, was just sort of there because, you know, he's done favors and deals with the banks and things like that, and that he's put there as a sort of shadow puppet, has left because he can't keep his dick in his trousers, <laughs> isn't quite the victory that I think it is. And thank you very much. That was the uh, economics correspondent, and it's still, it still for for the BBC. And, um, you know, no, you've got to go and write another article for the Financial Times this morning, I gather. That's it. That's just my, I just want to watch Love Island and forget about all of that. And Boris, so Boris Johnson resigning isn't really a massive victory. And how's Love Island going? It's very they won't know, will they? That is, am I right? They'll be on Love Island and they won't know and probably wouldn't care if they did know. Well, they probably wouldn't care, but they shouldn't care. They're cultural icons. They're more important than Boris Johnson. But right. Love Island is the UK's biggest expert. Right. Everyone watches Love Island across the world. I don't understand it. I've so, I, When you sort of go, because when... When just as soon as Boris Johnson made his resignation speech, you went, can we watch Love Island now? I'd had it recorded from the night before, yeah. Right. <laughs> so we turn that on and, uh, and I don't understand it. To me, it's just like a lot of people going, oh, Paige, I know, you know, I've really got feelings for Molly and Rihanna, but, you know, but she doesn't really excite me and she doesn't really, and I feel really connected to you. That is essentially what has happened in the last two nights as well. <laughs> You're not far off. They've, they, they have. It's like a fucking Jeffrey Epstein kind of TV series. Either everyone involved just suddenly dies of suicide. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not all working for Mossad. It's insane, and they're just like, we can't let this get out. It's Isn't it like a sort of more elaborate version of Squid Game, then? Pretty but much. It's insane. This it is such an insane show. Like, 
there's been multiple suicides and every year they're like, well, it's coming back. We just can't lose this show. It's just... Well, is there a whole lot of them do it? Yeah, there's been like three they're or just four. Because sort of, they all have to get in a tub. Do they get in there with an electric fire and that? Because <laughs> can't... The, oh, the thing is like... Nora just, you know, I just saw the way that she looked at David and that's it for me. And then, and that, does that not leave a problem? He's, he's because a, then there needs to be an equal number of men and women in there. And now, well, God, now one of the women's going to have to kill themselves <laughs> because one of the blokes has done himself in. What do you think would happen if they went, we would just like to make an announcement, everybody to the, to the hot tub immediately, we have an announcement, the elected, the democratically elected leader of the country in which you are, to which you are performing has resigned. What do you think they'd do? I think the fact that you've used the word democratic in it would make them think, but isn't it the Democratic Republic of North Korea? And then they'll presume that Kim Jong-un's died and then they'll be like, was he in charge of us? I think that's what would happen. <laughs> and that is where we are at as a nation. You can hear you can hear my whole philosophy on this on my podcast, B-Tech Philosophers, where I go, where... Uh, uh, unfortunately, I've been doing a lot of jokes about Love Island suicides and then realised that uh, actually a lot of my comedian friends have worked with the people who've done it. So I've managed to make sure I'm never going to be on an ITV2 show as long as, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, massive oversight well, yeah. on my part. I'm not, well, you know, all the greats have been on ITV2, so that's that well, for me. <laughs> hopefully, the what the fuck is going on, Love Island Venn diagram is a little bit smaller. Mm. Thank you very much, Elliot Steele. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We are now available on Patreon. So if you want to become a supporter and get ad-free extended versions and bonuses, that are a myriad of bonuses, such as, for example, Mike Concrete this week, a very, very important interview in which he's discussing women's football. Please sign up to that, just £4 a month. And if you've liked the podcast, then rate it. If you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, then be absolutely certain to write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please, it is your civic duty. Send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod. And we will look at every message that you send. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Andy Zaltzman and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. Produced by Mike Benwell. What the Fuck is Going On was brought to you by WTF Productions. <laughs>